Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our program, Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and we're grateful that you've decided to join us for this show. And we are here to bring you information that will help you compare biblical Christianity with the Joseph Smith's Mormonism. And uh, last time uh, we ended this particular series with part one of an interview with Vicki Anderson as she talked about the sexual abuse and incest against her from the time she was an infant. It's a three-part series and this is the second part. This abuse was perpetrated by her priesthood holder, LDS father, who was also a police officer. And we uh, are back now to tell the second part of her story. Now, if you're watching and you are someone uh, that you know is abused or having been abused uh, by the authority of a religious idea, you need to call someone and let them know and get some help. No matter how authoritative your abuser uh, lords it over you or threatens you, abuse doesn't come from God and you also need to know that abuse is illegal. And if you need help getting help, you can give us a call. We can help you or find someone who can help you, point you to some safe people who would help you. And if you're in a polygamy group, we can certainly help you get away from them as well. Our telephone number is 385 Two four zero two eight eight eight, and if no one answers, be sure and leave a message so that we can get back with you. Or you can contact us by email, tv at aboutpolygamy.com. But you do need help if you are being abused in any way. Not just sexual abuse, there's other abuses as well that uh, you need to help to get away from if that's what you're suffering from. But anyway, we are welcoming back Vicki Anderson. Thank you, Vicki, for coming back. Thank you. And thanks for being brave to share your story. It's quite a story, and it takes courage to come publicly and talk about it. And we're glad you are. Now, we talked um, up until you were about, oh, what, 13 13. years old uh, Mm -hmm. during our last show. So now we're going to pick up at about... Um, age 15, 15 to 17, you have been going through this systematic abuse constantly. Yes. It, it, it really it didn't let up. And your father was abusing other people as well, not just yes. you, yes. but others as well. Um, now, your parents eventually got divorced. Your 12-year-old sister spilled the beans. Did that precipitate the divorce? Tell us what led up to it and what happened. Uh, Yes, my sister did tell my mom one time when we had gotten in trouble for being late to school again because of some abuse that was happening in the morning before school. And it finally was a wake-up call for my mom, but it had continued on for these like 14 years. Mm -hmm. And so she, it propelled her to go talk to the bishop and get some counsel from him. It was brought to the stake president's attention and a disciplinary church court was held. Um, I was interviewed privately, my sister was interviewed, um, and they excommunicated him, but only for what he confessed to. And his confession at that time was occasional fondling over a two-year period. 
So that that was the charge that the church has on on him, uh, but there was no civil court. It wasn't taken to never t reported to legal authorities. Now during no. during their uh, interviewing you and your sister, did you tell them everything? You know, I don't remember much. I re it was such a traumatic event because yeah, sure it, it was undoing my whole life. All my life I had worked toward keeping this family together. And now this priest, another priesthood holder was standing in front of me asking me to tell the secret. My priesthood holding father told me never to reveal or it would destroy our family. So I really don't remember hmm. what I said. Did you wonder if one priesthood holder had more power or more authority than the other? Was that part of your dilemma or did yes. that even come in? Yes, it? because you have your bishop and your stake president and your father, they all hold supposedly the same priesthood mm -hmm. and so when they all want you to do different things I wasn't sure what to do. Yeah. So so he was um, um, excommunicated. Now was he yes. excommunicated before or after the divorce? Before. And then the divorce? Yeah that's what precipitated the divorce later okay. that year. Okay um, so obviously well, I don't know how to say this. Your sister, um, you don't know exactly what you told, but did your sister tell more? She obviously told more because she spilled the beans to start with. Right, but, but he was only excommunicated for what he confessed to, so I'm not said. sure who believed who. And, and then we go back to your mother. She knew about it long before, two years before that, which right. is all he confessed to. Right. Do you know what part she played in, in no. revealing any information? She hasn't shared that with me, so I don't hmm. know. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, so, your well, one more question on that. Do you think that the abuse should have been reported to the legal authorities? Right now, as you look back on it, do you yes. think it should have been yes, done? Yes, definitely it should have gone to legal action. It would have stopped maybe something in the future by yes. him. Yes. Okay. So your father moved out of your home, um, and now you and your sister are not available to him. And this is where that question of legality comes in. If he had been reported to the legal authorities, he couldn't molest in the future, at least for a while. What did he right. do now? That he, he doesn't have you and your sister. That's right. And as part of the divorce decree, um, he wasn't allowed visitation with me and my sister, but he was with my two younger brothers. And a few years after the divorce, um, my brothers um, shared with us that when they would go for their unsupervi unsupervised overnight visits, that uh, they would be molested during oh those words. My goodness gracious. Um, how long did it go on before they told? Uh, about three years after the divorce. Wow. Yeah. And how did they handle? The, no. They haven't handled it very well, no. Goodness gracious. Well, one of my questions, I mean, this this makes you speechless, even though I've known your story, it still makes me speechless that this could even happen with a priesthood holding uh, supposed to be godly person. Um, it, so he, it didn't matter if his boys or girls. It didn't matter if it was his kids or not, or cousins right. or, or whomever. Right. It didn't matter. No, as long as it was a child. So he obviously liked the younger girls. Did he mm -hmm. remarry, and did he remarry a younger woman? Did she have kids? He did remarry um, several years later, and we found out she was younger than I was, younger than my sister and I were at the time, and had two little girls. 
So uh, my sister went and made a point of meeting with her and sharing with her what had happened. Mm. And within about six weeks, that wife packed up and, and left. Mm. And then he dated several more girlfriends that I was aware of and eventually married a young girl from the Philippines and went to the Philippines and brought her back to the United States. Again, much younger than any of his children. Did did that young girl have kids or, of no. her own? No, she didn't. Of her own. So your sister, she did the right thing. Uh, it's a good yes. thing that she really did that. But obviously yes. there had to have been something that made the woman pack up and leave. Uh, maybe yes. he found out, she found out the abuse going on there. Uh, now your father, you, you, you told me of a, a habit that your father did in the neighborhood. Um, and this is where trusting neighborhoods can really, I mean, it's good to have trusting neighbors and neighbors that help, right. but this is where it can also be detrimental, where he would offer to babysit the neighbor's children. Yes, uh, he was very loved in his neighborhood because uh, he would he had an open door policy. Children were welcome to come over any time and visit with him and hang out with him. If uh, a single mom was stuck in a need of a babysitter, um, they knew that if he wasn't working, that he would take those children in and take care of them for her. And so they, many people were very impressed with his willingness to spend his days off tending other people's children. And you know the fact that he's a police officer would add to their feeling of safety yes. by leaving their children with him. He wasn't a police officer at that time, but he did have that history of being a police officer. Oh, so he wasn't at that at that had, moment in time, okay. he had changed okay. careers. Okay, so they, but they did know then that he yeah. was a police mm -hmm. officer, so, so they would have felt safe at that. And, and did any abuse come from that, or do you even know? I don't know. I, I suspect that he had multiple victims, knowing who he is and what his history is, but I don't have any personal mm -hmm. verification of that. Okay. And so no one was wiser to what he was doing and why he was doing it. Now, we talked about this, and I think it's important to bring it out, um, but let's talk some more about more of the Mormon doctrine, that um, religious doctrine that contributes to your abuse and to this kind of behavior in the trusting religion of Mormonism and in Mormon neighborhoods, and I'm speaking of polygamy as well, because they are a more closed groups than the Mormon neighborhoods are. They're, they're even more closed and more private, and they are sworn to more secrecy than any of the Mormon neighborhoods are. So this does happen. It does contribute to abuse, and they use much of their doctrine to justify their actions, which we talked last time about some of that your father did. And now we are going to talk some more ab about why his required submission, why he required you to submit to him and, and was justified in in your submitting to him. Uh, we talked about the priesthood authority last time and so and the obedience that you needed to obey the priesthood authority but let's go to your patriarchal blessing which is now the patriarchy is that it is a man-centered man-authoritative system right? The yes. male rules. Yes. Sometimes with an iron fist. So tell us about your patriarchal blessing and how that uh, was part of your submissive attitude. Okay, I was 14 and a half when I received my blessing and in the very first paragraph it said you have been sent to the earth to fulfill a mission no one else could do and as soon as I heard that the 
thought that instantly jumped to my mind was, my mission is to keep my family together. No one else could keep my dad happy. No one else could keep this family together except by my submission to mm. him. Um, and it also went on to say that I was to honor my parents who had set the proper example for me and taught me. Wow. And who, um, who, excuse me, who gave your blessing to you? Each stake has a, a stake patriarch that is specifically set apart to give blessings to those people that live in his stake boundaries. Oh, so your father didn't give you. The oh, reason no. I asked is my father gave me my patriarchal blessing, so I just was curious. No. Okay. No. That's ahead. a church appointed <laughs> okay. calling. So, and I was also in that blessing told to honor and respect them throughout my days and to live morally clean, which presented a problem. Yes. <laughs> uh, which do I do? Do I obey my parents or do I live morally clean? Because I knew in my gut that this was not morally right. Mm -hmm. um, well, you're 14 now and you know you're a little bit more informed. Yes, yes. And then it said, honor and obey my parents. Well, my dad was telling me one thing and my mother was telling me the other. So who do I obey? my father or my mother mm -hmm. and uh, I felt like Eve in the Garden of Eden where um, God said multiply and replenish the earth but don't take the tree of knowledge because in LDS doctrine she had to take of the tree to know how to multiply and replenish the earth mm -hmm. so it's like why would God give people two commandments that they couldn't keep mm -hmm. and expect them to know which one to choose. And right. that's what I felt from my patriarchal blessing is God was saying, be chaste, be morally clean, avoid evil, honor and obey your parents who have set the proper example for you. And I was just hoping so that I was do? choosing the right one in the right moment. And But obeying one is disobeying the other Yes, in, in, in his world. Yes. And in the Adam and Eve thing, one thing that is certain, and, and you've learned that now, and I, I also learned that now, is that God did not give conflicting commands to Adam and Eve. There was no reason in the world why they couldn't um, fill the earth before she sinned. She did not have to sin in order to, um, to have sexual relations with her husband. And there's no place in the Bible anywhere that indicates that they had to sin. In fact, uh, the sin is what br has brought all the horrible things on this planet. Uh, the sin that started there. God is not the author of that kind of evil or contradictory commands. Yes. Uh, and yet that's what you grew up with. Right. That's what you grew up with. Yes. Um, the secrecy is a big part too. And I can relate to the secrecy so, so much because that's the way we were raised. Uh, I did myself didn't suffer sexual abuse. I did suffer much, much physical abuse. And I do know of those who did uh, suffer sexual abuse like you did. But it, everything was a secret. Our yes. life was a secret. Our, our, we couldn't even express our thoughts. Right. And if we did and it was something they didn't want to hear, they would whoop us for it. You know, I mean, it's just there was everything was a big secret. It was hard. Yes. And then the contradictory commands as well. So your patriarchal blessing, uh, honor your parents because they set the proper example. Did your father set a good example for you? Well, according to my patriarchal blessing, he did, but I didn't think it was that good of an example. In your own heart. Yes, in, in my heart. heart. And when I would try to resist that, that's when he would bring up the, the situation between Heavenly Father and his daughter, Mary. And he would say, well, Yes, Heavenly Father says morally be morally clean, but yet he 
had Jesus with Mary, and so that allows me to do what I do with you because I love you as much as Heavenly Father loved his daughter Mary. That's interesting that you would say that, Vicki. Um, so many uh, LDS people today, now the polygamists believe that, but so many of them today in the LDS Church do not believe that the early Mormons taught that, that it was God who came down and had physical sexual relations with Mary in order to get pregnant with Jesus. They taught that in the early mm -hmm. days. The polygamists still believe that. And your father used that on you uh, yes. so that you would feel like that it was okay with what's going on. Yes. And again, I just have to say, bad doctrine brings bad behavior. True. And that's a, certainly a blasphemous doctrine that God would do that. Uh, now let's talk about the eternal family. That has a lot to play, a, a big part that this played in your submission to this abuse as well. How did the eternal family work uh, to keep you in bondage to this? Well, you can only reach the celestial kingdom and live with God forever if you're sealed as an eternal family. And everybody has to do their part to make sure that the family is an eternal one. And my part was to keep my father happy so the marriage would stay intact and that we would, we would make it to the celestial kingdom together. And so keeping him happy was what you had to do with him sexually? Yes, yes. Okay, uh, you're, you said that your mother quoted a scripture to you about your contentious attitude. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Oh, yes. Um, so anything that, that uh, smacked of incompliance was considered contentious. So if you complained or whined, um, that was contentious. And so she would quote me the scripture in Mosiah, in the Book of Mormon, Mosiah chapter 4, verse 14. And you will not suffer your children to quarrel one with another and serve the devil who is the master of sin or who is the evil spirit which hath been spoken of by our fathers, he being an enemy to all righteousness. So by me complaining about anything I had to do, whether it was dishes or babysitting younger siblings or whatever, I was an enemy to righteousness. I was contentious. I was of the devil. Mm -hmm. Now you were a teenager. Yes. <laughs> Is there a teenager that doesn't complain? I mean, I really, I... I raised five of them. They all complained. <laughs> At some point, they have that just that teenage attitude, and that's what it yes. is. But but then you and by the way, the same thing happened to me. Uh, my mother used that same tactic on me, and it's very uh, it's very difficult. Uh, you get to the point to where you just absolutely don't even want to try anymore because no matter how hard you try, you're never right. try good enough, and right. you're never good enough. So I know exactly what you're talking about. So uh, because of fear of disobeying your mother, disobeying your priesthood holding policeman father. Um, disobeying God and not uh, because God came and had sex with Mary and uh, be disobeying your patriarchal blessing all of those things was a heavy burden for you to carry uh, to even come up with any courage to to disobey your dad defy him and his sexual abuse on you right plus the added guilt of well if I'm not there then he'll just go to my sister yeah, he'll find somebody else yeah. and so it's like well then I need to stick around so that I can protect her a little bit more than what would happen if I wasn't there and do you really think if you weren't there that he would have turned on her with more aggression? oh I know he would, have. he would have okay let's talk about your mother for a minute 
You told me that she was jealous of your sexual relationship with your father. Now that just makes my head spin. Would you explain? Uh, when I went to um, went back into therapy once as an adult, we had a session where we invited my mother to come in and sit in on that that session. And it was at that time that she said, how do you think it makes me feel to know that my own daughter was the other woman in my oh, husband's life? My goodness. And at that point, that thought had never entered my mind. One, I wasn't a woman. And two, I wasn't willingly participating in this, which she gave the impression that I was, and uh, that she would be jealous of her child mm -hmm. when it wasn't my role to. It makes you wonder what he said to her behind closed doors that would yes. make her react that way. Yes. If he was yes. using that as a, as a, uh, uh, the weapon against her and her behavior or, or something. I mean, just that's a very strange thing that your mother... And actually, God gave us parents to protect us, to be our protectors, and to shield us from these kinds of things, and neither one of them did that. Neither one of them right. were protectors for you. Um, how was your relationship? Your mother remarried. How yes. was your relationship with your stepfather? Uh, when I first started talking to you, I thought, oh, don't tell me that he <laughs> abused her too. But what happened with your stepfather? He did not sexually abuse me. Um, I was 16 by the time they got married, or just about 16 when they got married. And I didn't mind her remarrying, but I, I was not anxious to, to jump into another father-daughter relationship mm -hmm. of any kind. Sure. And um, I was quite a bit older than his children, so uh, to go from younger boys to a teenage daughter, I'm sure was difficult for him as well. Uh -huh. But he was a um, iron-fisted high priest in the church, um, temple recommend holder, very authoritative mm -hmm. in his interactions with me. And, it, and again, it was, you do what you're told without question, or else. or else. So, the or else thing. Um, what did that end up being? He knew about your abuse with your father, right? Yes, he, he did. about that. Yes, he did. A lot of people knew. My mother told all our family and anybody that she thought needed to know. So, it was not a secret. Um, and I remember one time specifically, um, he had asked me to do something and and I had my cheeky teenage attitude and said I didn't think it was fair. He was picking on me and I was doing more than all the other younger brothers and sisters and I didn't think it was fair. And he turned to me and said, if you talk back to me one more time, I will send you back to live with your dad so fast it will make your head spin. Oh. And that was the ultimate threat, wasn't yes. it? Yes. And my mom was in the room and so I turned to her and I said, you wouldn't let her, you wouldn't let him do that to me, would you? And she stood up right next to him and said, he is the priesthood holder and patriarch of our home and I will support him no matter what he says. Oh my goodness. And at that point, that was a turning point in my life because at that, in that exact moment of time, I knew that I had absolutely no value, nor would I ever have value in my mm. family. It's pretty hard, isn't it, to know that you have no value? Yes.
It's yes. a difficult thing to live with. I can ex uh, again. I didn't experience what you did, but the the abuse. If you if you're on a performance based religion, uh, your value is is definitely uh, linked directly to your performance. And any time you fail, and it has to be according to some pretty high standards yes. normally, and their standards. There is their standards, right? Then you have no value at all. And walking around in life without knowing that you have no value to anyone, and certainly not knowing God and His perfect love, right? It's, it's very debilitating, it's very difficult. So did your attitude with your stepfather at that point mellow out, or what did you do? <laughs> that would be a hard place to be. Uh, luckily, we only had to live with each other for about a year and a half, and then I went, went away to college, so it was just grin and bear it. But at one point, he did send me, I was sent away to live with relatives, and they quoted the scripture in First Nephi that says, it is better that one man should perish than a nation dwindle in unbelief, that they would much <laughs> rather sacrifice me and save the rest of the eternal family. And I was collateral damage for the eternal family. How they take, uh, they, they've taken a scripture, a passage out of the Bible and twisted it and misapplied it in a big way on that because yeah. that was a prophecy about Jesus dying for the sins of the world. I know, I just found that out. Yeah, <laughs> and it has nothing to do with, with what they applied it to you, but then that's what they do. They right. take the scriptures and they twist it and they misapply it. Yes. Which, which we're going to talk about one a little bit later on that. So your self-worth is destroyed. You're trying to earn your mother's love. Did you turn to God at any point during this I did, and, and feel like that he had abandoned you? How did you deal with it that way, your spiritual side? Well, I kept hoping that I could do the right things that would entice him to like me again. I never really turned my back on him. Uh, but I knew that if I were angry or had bad thoughts or engaged in things that weren't appropriate, that he would flee, that he only stays with good, righteous, clean people. And so I kept trying to balance the scale. Uh, I, would, I was on the seminary student council and I held church callings and I got good grades in school and I kept trying to earn my mother's love and approval. I kept trying to earn God's love and approval by balancing that scale mm -hmm. and everything I did I thought maybe this will make God love me or notice me or save me or help me. And you know what's wonderful is our job isn't to balance the scale. Our job is to trust Jesus and then he has balanced the scale for us when he came and died on the cross. Well we have another uh, show to do on this because there's still more to tell. I do appreciate your willingness to come and talk and so we will see you next time. Uh, Vicki, thanks for coming. You know, we talked about performance-based religion and it is guaranteed failure because our best is never good enough. And worse, it's another sinner who becomes our judge. But Jesus lived a perfect life and he took our sins on the cross and he gives us his righteousness if we'll toss out all religious works and just trust in him alone because he finished our good works for us. So we'll see you next time when we talk about Vicki's third story next time. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. 
You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again. Mm -hmm.